guys, welcome to Box to Box, the football talk show powered by Sportsology TV. Uh, my name's Uni, this is my co-host Ali Drew. Before we start, I want to recap on last week's show. I know we've got a great guest this week, uh, somebody that you guys will have known. But before Ali introduces him, I want to talk about last week's show. Uh, we had uh, YouTuber Adam McCaller join us, talk about his beloved Manchester United. And it was probably the right time to catch him because... United suffered that defeat against Mourinho's Spurs 6-1. He talked about what went wrong in that game, talked about the Glazers' out movement, talked about the board, Ed Woodward, the transfer window, and big signings like Edison Cavani. What did you think of them? But this time around, we've got a huge guest for you guys, massive. So Ali, introduce, introduce the man. Yes, on this episode, we actually have two great guests. But first up, we are joined by a former player who is an ex-England international and played for teams including Spurs and Aston Villa. You will now hear him as a pundit and a host on TalkSport. We are delighted to be joined by Darren Bent. Darren, how are you? Yeah, well, good, thank you. Good, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. How is life treating you as a pundit and on TalkSport? You're everywhere at the moment. Yeah, it's good. Uh, TalkSport being the main, I, I, when I first retired, you obviously you know it's like people, you need that next step. What, what are you going to do next? And to be fair, I went straight into talk football, did, did, did okay. Um, and then obviously ultimately ended up being there all the time, Sky Sports all over the place. So, but as I said, when you're so used to so for routine for, I mean, I played for nearly 20 years. When you've got routine every single day, when that suddenly stops, you need something else to do. So, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's gone well. I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at at the minute. Darren, I was just saying to you off camera, I turn on the TV, you were there. I mean, I turn on the radio when I'm in the car, you're there, you're everywhere, man. You know, when you were a football player and you were reaching them latter stages of your career, did you actually think that you'd get into media? Because other people look at going into coaching or whatever else, but was it always your goal to get into media? You know what it is, when you're coming towards the end and you can feel it, you do start to think, well, what's next? So I did start doing, I had an injury towards the end, so then I did start doing a little bit of media here and there. And I tried coaching, but I just knew coaching. Like, I've got my badges, but I just knew that it wasn't me. It wasn't something that I, I, I really was interested in. I got the badges because I thought it's the right thing to do. But as far as media, yeah, now I really enjoy it. Like you talk about football, I mean, I, I, I played football for such a long time. It's nice to be able to talk on it, but I mean, it's still parts of the, the media side that you need to get used to, which is obviously things like, like one, obviously I've still got a lot of friends that still play, but if they play badly, having to tell them that they played bad, and that, that's probably the only bit I found quite tough. But other than that, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Actually, just, just going off something that someone said to us, we spoke to Danny Webber, who used to play for Sheffield United and a few other teams. And he said he, he's, he works for MUTV, so he does uh, media stuff. And he goes, the hardest thing for him was that as a football player, you were told what to say or you were, you had to not be so opinionated. You had to just have this neutral sort of ground that you stand on and you don't give a left or right view. Um, but for, for you now, you've had to open up your horizons, talk about everything. How has that, how has that transition been for yourself? Yeah, it's tough because you're right um, about what Danny said there because I'm sure now if you, if you interviewed 50 footballers about the same topic, you'd probably get 50 of the same answers. They're, they're obviously, you're always kind of engineered to answer that kind of, yeah, well, that kind of down the middle kind of answer. But you're right. When you stop playing football now, you become, I call it the other side, the pundit. You have to, you have to be a little bit diversive. You have to be a little bit on the edge because there's no point, even if they are a good friend of mine, there's no point me saying, yeah, I thought he did okay when quite clearly he played bad because that's not what really people want. But on the other side, I don't really like the pundits that kind of go over the top just to kind of get reaction. So it's trying to find that kind of balance in the middle, which is, has been tough. But the more you do it, it's like anything, the more you do it, the better you become. 
definitely. Well, before we start talking about some of your former clubs, um, I just want to ask your opinion on, it's sort of the topic of the last few seasons, really, but especially this season, is VAR. The rulings, um, obviously, it's changed a bit this season. What are your views on the sort of stop-start of the game and the fact that there seems to be a lot more goals, I guess, because of VAR? What is your opinion on that? I, mean, I, I wouldn't say that I particularly like VAR. In fact, I, I think I quite hate it because, at the end, I mean, the, the, the handball rule this season now is, is awful. Like, it's terrible. Um, I get the goal line technology. When they brought that in, I thought that was superb because the amount of goals that are kind of like 50-50, you can't really tell. So when they brought that in, I was quite happy with it, obviously, until Villa played Sheffield United and it completely broke down. Yeah. But um, I was happy with that. The offside as well, I, I can kind of get my head around it because if it's offside, then you're offside. But then it's it's the way they interpret it, like clear and obvious. Well, if you've got to keep looking at a replay 15, 16 times, then I don't like it because it's holding up the game. It's not clear and obvious. So I think VAR was brought in to be positive. And I think we've spent too much time now talking about VAR other than the actual games itself because it's kind of taking the shine off some of the performances. Like they might be a very, very good performance or a good match that we're watching, but yet everyone will focus on what about that VAR decision? And I'm not quite sure that's what VAR was brought in to do. Um, yeah, some of the handballs have been ridiculous. Like, ridiculous. Yeah, like, uh, some, I think uh, Joel Ward, Crystal Palace, he, he couldn't do nothing. He couldn't move his hand out. Victor oh. Lindelof against Brighton. It's just a normal running movement. But for you guys, I think we spoke to somebody, I can't remember if it was a striker, a former striker, might have been Bobby Zamora, and he said it might just be good for strikers, though, because he's just going to get about 15 penalties a season going to put them in. It's probably, it's just one of them. It's a bit of an awkward situation that players are in at the moment. We, with the handball, you're asking defenders now to not defend the way they were taught. You have to move to like the, the European continental type defending where when they're kind of facing up the ball, they've always got their, arm, their arms behind the back. And we always used to criticise that. What, what kind of defending is that? You can't defend like that. But we're going to have to adapt that now because we're going to start seeing penalties where people are deliberately are now clipping the ball towards people's hands if they're in a tight situation and getting penalties for it. So, I mean, that is the, I think that's the biggest thing, the handball rule is what the AR need to have a look at and maybe try and reassess where they, they can improve it. Because at the minute, it's a shambles. Uh, yeah, it was it was Gabby Agbonahor who said it, and he said you're going to get strikers literally deliberately just kicking balls at yeah. hands just to try and get penalties. And then if they're a good penalty scorer, they're winning. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you keep, if you keep doing that, and, and that's where they need to kind of, toe the line as in like deliberate handball or and even if the hand's in an unnatural position at times you can't do anything if you're jumping in the air or you're running your, your arms are going to be in an unnatural position so that they need seriously need to have a sit down and think about how they interpret that law and maybe change it a bit Darren I just wanted to uh, talk about England because we're in the international break and England have played recently um and we seem to be in a good place at the moment because uh strikers that we have I, I don't want to talk specifically about strikers we've got a great team in midfield, but just the strikers because you were a former striker. Uh, what do you make of uh, the new guns? You've got Danny Ings who has come back. You've got uh, Calvert-Lewin who seems to just be this player over the last two seasons who's just been fantastic. And then obviously Harry Kane who's just who's just number one. What do you make of the plethora of strikers that we've got? Yeah, we've got a, a, a real depth. Um, we talk about, you spoke about Calvert-Lewin now who's been sensational this season. Barkley Car Player of the Month, Premiership Player of the Month. He's been superb. Danny Ings has had a full season where he was brilliant last season. He started off again this season brilliantly. So he's in the running. And obviously Harry Kane. Harry Kane. I know he's not got as many goals as maybe the other two, but his assist and his all-round game has been superb. And you're right, in that centre-forward role, we've got them three. You can even put Marcus Rashford. He can play down the middle. Tammy Abraham, he's still obviously vying to play centre-forward there as well. Um, the, the, so at the minute, that attacking front three, 
We've got so many options, and I think that's going to cause Gareth Southgate some headache because you need to find the right blend. But as far as actual centre-forwards going, I mean, I don't think, not for a long, long time anyway, we've been blessed with so many centre-forwards in good form. We've always had maybe one or two, and then the rest, it's like, well, who else can we get in there to kind of supplement the other two? But you've got all three, four of them on absolute fire, so it's a real good problem for Gareth to have. Well, we'll talk about one of your former teams now, Spurs. They have had quite a good start to the season. Obviously, had that massive win against Man United 6-1. Um, what are your thoughts on the, sort of the way they've come out and the sort of attack the start of the season? Yeah, they've been brilliant. Um, I mean, at the very, very start, people questioned them a little bit. Performances weren't too great at the very, very start. Um, but to be fair, it was like it, it, it kind of coincided with the bail signing and all of a sudden everybody seemed to left their, get their game 10-15%. I mean, Son's gone onto another planet. He's, he's scoring goals, playing really, really well. Harry Kane, we know what he can do. But I think the, the biggest difference for Spurs is the left-back Regulon. I think he's been absolutely superb. I mean, he gets up and down his engine. I mean, he's assisting times. He's always in the, in the box looking to score. He can get himself back. And I really like what um, Tottenham are doing. And if you start thinking about pieces that have still got to come back, like i.e. Bale, when you look at that front three now, all of a sudden, you start going, well, on paper, certainly, that's the best front three in the Premier League. When you've got Harry Kane, I mean, people might say Liverpool got a good one in Salah, Salah Firmino and Mane. But Bale, you know what I mean? What he's done in the game, his pace, his power, some superb Kane. I think if you're a Spurs fan right now, you're looking at that thinking, do you know what? I really like what we're doing here. We've got strength and depth now in all positions. We've got two, three good goalkeepers. If Luis goes down, we've also got Joe Hart's there. They've still got Gazaniga. So if you're a Spurs and Marino, you must be looking at his squad thinking, and they've still got Deli Alli really to come back because he's not really played. He's, he's still trying to find his form. So once all these little pieces start to click into place, they're going to take some beating. What's your thoughts on Mourinho? Because obviously he had his stints at United. Um, didn't, it worked out, he came second and then he didn't really get back to the transfer window and then whatever happened after that happened. Uh, there was a lot of question marks when he came to Tottenham. You know, is it going to be the old Mourinho? Are we going to see a new Mourinho? What do you make of this Mourinho at Tottenham? Watching him on the documentary, I mean, first and foremost, he's a, he's a serial winner. That, that's, you, can't, you can't take that away from him. And, and when he went to Spurs, I, I did wonder if there was going to be maybe a bit of a, a clash because you, you, you go into a, you're bringing a manager in that demands that the team win trophies but he's going to a team that, unfortunately, haven't won that many trophies in a long time. So you, you, there was always that kind of divide and you thought, well, how is this going to work? And obviously, you either buy into that or you don't as a player. And obviously, all the squad have gone, all right, let's, see, let's give him an opportunity. This is what he can do. And you, you look at Spurs now and you think that they're still in the League Cup, still in the European Cup. They're pushing up the league so they might finish in the Champions League. They're still in the, they've still got the FA Cup to come as well. So you wouldn't bet against Spurs winning a trophy this year. And I think with Mourinho in charge, I don't really care what, I don't really think he cares what trophy as long as he ends that trophyless run because he's got to find a way of somehow instilling like a winning mentality, a team that's constantly winning trophies because that's what he's used to doing. You know, you spoke about Harry Kane just earlier. Um, watching him this season, we've just seen this different Harry Kane in the sense that he's always going to be a goal scorer and we know how great he is in front of goal. But this season, he seems to have picked up his assistant his assist game. He's passing the balls from like 30, 40 yards, uh, setting up Son on multiple occasions this season. Um, just want to ask you your opinion because we saw with Paul scores at Man United. He was playing further up. Later on in his career, he, he went a bit further back and started pulling out his assists. Um, what happens when you get to that stage of your career? Harry Kane's not old. I'm not saying he's got, he's that old that like he needs to think about. You mean, like, you mean like a Rooney as well? What Rooney's done? Yeah, like Rooney, like was it? Yeah. So, uh, 
for yourself, when you get to that stage, do you start thinking about other parts of your game and how to improve them? Well, yeah, I mean, as you, as you get older, and as you said, Harry Kane's still young. He's still in his, like, in his prime, so he's going to still score a load more goals. But I think you're right. When, when, as you're getting older, um, especially if, if you're a quick player, if you're someone who relies on speed, yeah. as you're getting older, you need to somehow find a way of adapting your game. Because if, you, if you've never been blessed with pace, you haven't really got to worry about it. You just keep playing the exact same. It's like Teddy Sheridan. He went on for so long because he, his speed was in his brain. So he could do other things. But I think when you're a player that relies on your pace, like I used to do, I was renowned for being quick. You need to adapt your game that maybe make yourself a little bit stronger or start dropping into areas where you're going to really affect the game. And, and it, it becomes a little bit difficult, a bit like cat and mouse, because I always found I was getting my goals because of obviously speed in and around the box, sharp movements. We've now got a son to find a way of getting goals still, but playing a completely different way that you've been playing for the last 10, 15 years. So it's kind of tricky. But for Harry Kane, because he's not blessed with blistering sp speed, but he's clever enough to just drop into little pockets and his passing, as you said, is outrageous and he's got good people around him. I still think he's got more than enough in himself and with the people around him to get his goals because he's such an intelligent footballer. And the other signings for Spurs this season, obviously Gareth Bale hasn't played yet, so he's yet to sort of establish how he'll settle into the team. But the other signings, how do they've actually had a chance to play? How do you think they're settling into the team? Yeah, I mean, I like Matt Doherty. I always liked him when he was at, he was at Wolves. I thought he was, a, he was a tremendous player. He's gone to Spurs. My only concern with that one was we always saw the best of him when they played in the back three um, and he was a right wing back. But as a flat right back, I'm not quite sure if we're going to see the best of him yet, but obviously he's still got time. He's only just got there. As I said, Regulon, been superb. He's the one who's really, really impressed me. I think that up and down, real energy, good on the ball. He's like a winger, really playing at left wing back, to be honest. So he's really impressed me. I think uh, Victor Vinicius, I think he'll be good because I think they needed to find somebody that could kind of step in when Harry Kane got an injury because that was always the concern with Spurs. If Harry Kane goes down, what happens? What are you going to do next? Would have signed someone to, um, to, to do that. So I think that's really shrewd for Mourinho. And obviously the big one, Gareth Bale. Now I know we're, we're all hoping that he's going to be the same Gareth Bale that we, we can remember. I don't think he's going to have that same burst that we, we've seen. But listen, he's still a top player and he's still someone who's got great technique, knows how to score goals in the Premier League, knows what the Premier League is all about. And I think the excitement and the buzz of the teammates and everyone outside of football will give him a real lift. So I think he'll, he'll kind of feed off that kind of energy and I think we'll see a very good season from him. Darren, I just want to talk about another uh, one of your former teams, Aston Villa. Um, they ran riot on the same day that Spurs ran riot. Ooh. Seven two, mate. <laughs> to be honest, I don't think uh, you can't put one person forward that would have even predicted a score like that. Never mind a win, a seven two. Let's talk about this season. Um, just talk to me about you know Dean Smith and his boys and what they've been doing this year. Well, listen. I mean, I don't think that, that I think that's probably the craziest day I think I've ever seen in football. Six one against United at Old Trafford, and then yeah. Aston Villa are two million who got relegated, beating the champions seven two. I mean, what Dean Smith's done is brilliant because they, they just about survived at the back end of the last season. Got fortunate with the handball, the goal line technology breaking down when they played Sheffield United. But what he did was he went away. He used lockdown to be fair as kind of a a guideline because he came back and they played completely different after lockdown. He said, well, we can't be open and expansive as we has been. We need to kind of find a way of being more difficult to beat. And I think he worked on that and it worked because after lockdown, they were a lot more defensively solid, hard to beat. I think they won a few games 1-0, which was unheard of. Yeah. But then this season, because they stayed up, he's gone, right, what can I do to improve? Well, he's gone and bought a centre-forward who he believed in. He knows really well in Ollie Watkins. Watkins. He's started off on fire. He's obviously the biggest one, got Jack Greedy to sign a new contract. Stay yeah. at the football clubs. He's managed to stay. 
They've went and got Ross Barkley. What a sign and that is. I didn't see that coming, but they've got him and another good player. They've got John McGinn. He's fit. So now he looks like a, a completely different player. And they've also had Matty Cash right back, which was a problem area. Um, too many goals were going in down that side. He's come in and done very well. Triori played in the Premier League with Chelsea. Good backup. So Dean Smith has assessed every single position on the pitch where their weakest didn't score enough goals. Oh, sorry, I forgot someone as well. It was important. The goalkeeper, Martinez. It could be the biggest, superb Arsenal. And he's addressed every single area where there were problems and he's put someone in that position. So for me, I think Aston Villa, honestly, are going to comfortably finish in the top half of the table because he's not bought in bulk. He's looked at every area where he's weakest on the pitch and gone bang, bang, bang and put the pieces in. And I think he's, been, he's done very, very well. I think they've done the best out of all the Premier League teams in recruitment and bringing players to the football club. You know, you just mentioned his name there, Jack Grealish. He's just been phenomenal. Like last season, he's probably the reason why they stayed up. Now this season already, he's proven to just be proven probably to be the signing of their season. That the, the fact that he signed the contract is probably the signing of the season. Then you look at him play for England, and he just fits in. Um, how far can he go? Because there is going to be people knocking at the door. You go, you're going to get get the Uniteds, maybe even abroad. The, you know, if if he's good enough, Barcelona, Real Madrid, these teams might come in for him. Um, what, what, what do you make of him and what do you think? Do you think he'll, he'll be staying at Aston Villa long enough? Or do you reckon he'll need to move? Do you know what it is? It's because he's from Birmingham and he loves the club. It's always a more difficult decision to just up and leave, regardless who it is. Because you look at Alan Shearer at Newcastle. He was the best striker at one stage in Europe. And all the big clubs came for him. But because he loved Newcastle so much, he didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And I put Jack in that type of situation where he loves the club that much. He's the captain. He's his boy club. Like, it means so much to him. There's no guarantees that he goes anywhere, but for himself and his development, you want to see Jack Grealish in the Champions League. Yeah. You've got to see him in there. His ability warrants that. He's too good of a player not to be playing in the Champions League. But I think another full season at Aston Villa playing at the level that he's playing at, then yeah, you're right. Everyone in Europe is going to want to take him. He's a maverick and he's one of them players that you take into the Mason Mount. If you ask Mason Mount to run from A to B to C, he'll do, he'll do that for you all day, every day. Yeah. But that can become predictable. So yeah. then you need that one player that will do A to B to C, but occasionally will just dip to D, even though they shouldn't, they do it. Yeah. Just that little bit of magic. And that's what Jack Reach has got. That little bit of something else where he can just unlock a door when games are tight. So for me, I, I'm a big fan of Jackson. It's brilliant that he's in the Premier League still and playing for Aston Villa. But Aston Villa, no, sooner rather than later, if he continues at this kind of magnitude, he won't be there for long. You know, I suppose from what you've said in regards to sort of Alan, giving Alan Shearer as an example, I think now in football, I think football's moved on in regards to the amount of money in football. I think somebody yeah. can be swayed with the amount of wages that can be offered. Like, for example, I'm not sure what he's on at Villa. He might be on 80,000, 90,000, 100,000. Someone might just come in and offer him 180,000. The money flying about nowadays is ridiculous. So, I, from the football that we're in at the moment, there's probably not as much loyalty because there's just a lot of money out there. And there is a short career for you guys. Yeah, listen, I mean, it's, it's going to be difficult. If you're, if you're on 85 or £80,000 a week and someone comes in is 200 and they're in the Champions League as well, okay. it, it, it takes a brave man to kind of turn that down, do you know what I mean? So for me, it's, it's one of them where you need to... It, it, it's, I've, I've never been in that position like Jack because I've never, I've never been playing for my boyhood. One sec, let me just... Uh, can you hear that? It's all right, it's all right, it's all right. Can you hear it, yeah? yeah it's, it's, right. can you, it's, not, it's not too bad. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, it's, it's just one of them things where I've never been in that position where your boyhood club, you're playing for the team that you love, that you support, and that means everything to you. Do you know what I mean? I've never been in that position. But for him, it, it, that, that type of situation might outweigh 
the whole money situation because eighty thousand pounds a week is still life changing anyway. It's, it's yeah. absurd amount of money. Do you know what I mean? So, and he's still young. So for for me, there's still no guarantees that he leaves. But for his own development, he needs to go to, and play in the Champions League. What um, are your sort of overall predictions for the Premier League? Like, who do you think? Obviously, you say that Aston Villa you think are going to get top half, but of, you know, what what are your actual predictions for sort of who's? Do you think Liverpool are going to steam it again and win, or do you think it's going to be a bit different this season? Do you know what? As we sit right now, I ain't got a clue because you just talk about Man United, who I thought right this season they'll be up there, just been walloped six one. Mm-hmm. Manchester City, who I, I thought not not Manchester City, yeah, Manchester City. They started off poorly. Leicester wallet then pointed against Leeds. So you thought, oh, it's going to be them. But then you look at um, Liverpool and I thought, well, they're the team to beat. And they just got absolutely destroyed as well. So I still think City and Liverpool are still the two teams to beat. But I couldn't tell you who's going to finish third and fourth. Like that, that there's up for grabs. But listen, you've got to give respect to Everton. What they're doing under Ancelotti, they've been absolutely tremendous. So I, I, I'm thinking and I'm going to put my kind of neck on the line and say, I think they'll be in the top four. Well. And they are doing. They're doing well. Uh, they've done well in the transfers as well. They've they've made very clever signings in the transfer. Really clever, and they're, and they're the and what I like about their signings because I put them just below Villa is in terms of the, the signings they've made. What I like what they've done as well is that Ancelotti's gone and signed th- like three midfielders in Rodriguez, Decore, and Alan, and he's from the, the the very first game he's just gone to them. You know what? Bang, off you go. And I love that about, I never understand why teams spend all this amount of money on these players and have them sitting on the bench for a week, two weeks. Like Man United spend all that money on Van der Beek yeah. and he doesn't hardly start. Do you know what I mean? But is going, well, I'm not buying these players. I'm not wasting money for these guys to be on the bench. Off you go. And all, all of them have been absolutely superb. When you talk about Everton then sort of getting into that position, do you see United, Man United as the one that are dropping out of the top four this year? It's going to be hard for United, but when you've got that front three, in Rashford, Martial and Greenwood, um, when they start clicking, then it's a, you talk about a completely different kettle of fish because them three, they can all fire. I mean, when they're all firing at the same time, they're practically unstoppable. Mm-hmm. But I think it's defensively, which, which is going to let Man United down. Defensively, not good enough, not, not too easy to play against, making too many mistakes. And I think ultimately, it's not going to come down to they don't score enough goals. It's that they can see too many, too many goals. And I think that's maybe potentially what could cost them. Darren, I just wanted to um, sort of go back to your days when you were playing football. And you played in an era where there was a lot of great, great teams about. We talk about the Invincibles, we talk about the United yeah. team that had done well. Talk to me about probably the, the best team that you faced back in them days when you were a, when you were a football player. I mean, so back, back, back you're talking, the best two teams were Arsenal and United by some distance. Okay. I mean, Man City started to come when they had the investment of money. But United back in the day were scary. Like when you talk about the, the midfield players they had, the, the forwards, like Rooney, um, Berbatov when he was there, Mid Skulls, Carrick, Ronaldo. These, I mean, honestly, it was scary. Vidic, Ferdinand, Van der Sar. I mean, that's what you call it—a proper, proper football team. And Arsenal, Thierry, Burkamp, Vieira. These, these type guys here. I mean, they—they they were strong. Sol Campbell. They were the two best teams, and they were the two teams you feared playing against because you knew. I always used to get to Old Trafford and think to myself, I wonder if I'm going to get a shot on goal. Not if I'm going to score. It was always like, I wonder if I'm even going to get a shot on goal because they were that good. Who's the best defender you faced then? The hardest defender? Rio Ferdinand. Yeah, Rio Ferdinand. He was, he was different. I mean, he could read the game really well. He was quick. He was strong. Vocal. He was always talking. Um, and listen, he was an all-round great guy as well because I played with him for England. So he was, a, he was a top man as well. But defensively, mate, he had absolutely everything. 
he wasn't aggressive, but he could be. But he was good in the air. He was quick. Good, good, good touch. Good passing. I mean, honestly, a proper, proper centre centre half. Who is the greatest player you think that you played alongside in all the different new clubs you played at? Who was and in England? Who was the greatest player you played alongside? England-wise, I'd have to say either Steven Gerrard or Wayne Rooney. Them two were head and shoulders probably above the rest. But on a day-to-day -day basis, club football, uh, Luka Modric by some distance. Yeah, yeah, he was well. He, it was one of them where we only saw really the best of him towards the end at Spurs. But it was one of them when we was in the changing room and he first walked in and he was training with him for the very first session. We all were like, "Wow!" Like after training, Poof, who's this guy? Because he was he was that good. And it's no surprise that he went on to obviously. It was a surprise that he won the Ballon d'Or with Messi and Ronaldo about. But it's no surprise about him being one of the very very best players in the world because we knew from the very first training session that he wasn't going to be at Spurs for long. Uh, just, just going off that, who is the best player that you've faced? So even in the opposition team, I know you spoke about Rio being the best defender, but there must have been a point where you faced somebody and thought, "Wow, this guy's just on a different planet." Yeah, I mean internationally, I mean, we, I mean players-wise, I played against Brazil and Spain, and in midfield for Spain they had Xavi, Iniesta, Fabregas, David Silva. I mean, we, we couldn't get Busquets. Ramos, PK, that team was 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 oh, wow, unbelievable. And even Brazil, that Kaká, Lucio, Thiago Silva, Maicon, um, Luis Fab Luis Fabiano. Honestly, they were outrageous. So they, they were the two best teams I've ever faced. I mean, we got we got beat we what beat Spain somehow at Wembley one 0 I don't know how. Yeah, um, and we lost to Brazil. But them two teams are head and shoulders the best two teams I've ever played against. Some of the best players I've ever played against. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time, Darren. It's been great speaking to you. And thank no you for coming on the show. No worries at all. Thanks for having me. Darren, thank it's been you. a pleasure. Hopefully, when the season rocks and rolls and there's more controversial points to talk about, it'll be good to talk to you again. Yeah, just give me a shout, man. I'm always, well, I'm not always available, but I'm always about. <laughs> You're busy. <laughs> <laughs> so just, yeah, just give me a shout. Thank you very much. Darren, thank you so much. Pleasure. No worries. Cheers. Great to be joined there by Darren Bent. Make sure you stay tuned as we have part two of the show coming up. We have another former footballer and another great guest. So make sure you subscribe so you can check out all our latest videos, leave some comments, and we'll catch you in a bit.